0: How do you build a healthy relationship with your family when you grew up in a dysfunctional one? Are you ready to create that life and family you dream and desire? Would you like to know how to break off generational dysfunction? Then you do not want to miss today's interview with Phyllis Mantelli.
1: Carol graham
0: phyllis mantelli is the author of the book unmothered life with a mom who couldn't love me she is a coach a mentor a speaker and passionate advocate for helping women break off generational dysfunction phyllis this is something i believe everyone needs to hear. As I was going over uh, the notes that you sent me, I was thinking of many different scenarios and uh, that people would relate to and in reading about your story. So I'm excited to have you here today and welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope.
2: Thank you. It's so good to be here.
0: So let us start with your story, the roller coaster journey of life with your alcoholic mom.
2: Right. So um, the <laughs> roller coaster is a good word for it. <laughs> um, I grew up with two parents who were very dysfunctional and um, I grew up in a pretty violent background. Just to give you a little example, mm-hmm. when I I remember being about four years old and my mom and dad started screaming at each other in the kitchen and my mom was pointing a knife and aimed it towards my dad's heart but missed and hit his arm and I think my face just probably dropped and I remember my dad turning around and looking at me and just pulling the knife out and saying like it's okay honey (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of like a Tuesday and, you know, it was just like no big deal. And as a child, when you grow up seeing those traumas, and then they're uh, put off as just normal situations. Your life becomes normal that way. And so um, my mom would go out and drink during the week and then come home and they would fight. My dad was a long distance truck driver. And so he was gone most of the time. And uh, the most important thing in my life that really changed the trajectory is when I was eight years old, I was walking home from school. Um, My brother was behind me. I was talking to a new friend and uh, she looked up and said, why is that truck in front of your house? And there was this big moving van with Mm -hmm. two men carrying my couch out. And my mom was inside like barking orders. And she said, we're leaving. And I just kept asking, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And she wouldn't answer me. And our life changed that day because we met a stranger uh, at the park who then became um, my sister's father. And so the story, the backstory is my mom was having an affair and she was Mm -hmm. pregnant Mm -hmm. and my sister is half Japanese and, um, Filipino and so she couldn't pass that baby off as as my father's and so she literally kidnapped us and took us to the next town but there was no phones or computers or anything it was the 60s right and so it took my dad three months to find us and so growing up in that kind of toxicity and then my mom went on to be with other men that were violent with her and so we just grew up like thinking that was a normal thing right and it wasn't but um but you you, requ- you start like learning these behaviors that you think you you know on the outside don't feel right, but it is your life, and so you pick up on those bad behaviors and I just really kept looking at my mother kind of side-eyed, like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You know, because I knew in my heart that that wasn't right, but she was my mother and I loved her. And so I just kept trying to work through those situations. Basically, when you start watching your mother um, repeat the same kind of dysfunctional mistakes, and then also like being really um, absent for us. Everything was about her. She was super narcissistic. Um, I believe she was bipolar. So she was there very up, up or down, down. There was no middle day. So you kind of came home from school, not knowing, you know, (laughs) Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like, who is she today? Mm -hmm. One day she's baking cookies and, um, you know, you're like, Oh, it's a good day. She's calm. And then the next day you come home and it's like, all of your things are thrown out of the drawers and we didn't fold the clothes right. And so we had to refold everything and just those kind of things. As teen years started to hit, I just really started rebelling, of course. (laughs) And so I really didn't want to, one, take care of my sister anymore. I was becoming kind of the sub-mother for her. And also, kind of picking up after my mom with all of her craziness going on and it it just became exhausting for me. I started um, slipping in grades and in high school I just couldn't concentrate and then of course at that time it's the number one thing that every kid from a broken home or any kind of toxic relationship with their parents is um, you start repeating the same thing. So I got introduced to drugs and drinking And I just started doing that and just kind of, I say, living a survival life. I was just trying to survive. And so by the time graduation came, um, I was short some credits and they said, well, you can't walk with your class. And I just said, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And I just started living my own life, but I was just living it with white knuckles is what I like Mm, to say. mm -hmm. And then my mother became homeless during that time, and so she was in and out of my life, and um, just a lot of things were happening with her. She she had my sister taken away from her. She kind of just gave up on stuff and kind of went into her own dysfunction and deeply. And so there were times when I just told people she was dead because I just didn't know how to explain
0: oh,
2: wow. um, who my mom was and why she wasn't in my life. And so that can really mess up with a young girl's mind. And so I kept um, searching for love through men, not realizing that I hadn't really loved myself and really known what my worth was. And so I just kept falling into these relationships. And at 25, I Decided to get married because everybody else was getting married. And I just thought, oh. well, it's time. And I just literally picked like this person that our families had known each other for years and years. And I thought I knew him, but I really didn't. And so, um, you know, he was nice and we got married. And then I realized like we were not on the same page on a lot of things. And we separated after like six months. But then I found out I was oh my pregnant. Goodness. Oh my word. and so then I thought well so in the back of my mind I had had a little bit of religion you know growing up and in the back of my mind I'm thinking well maybe God wants me to have this baby and be a good mom because I always had a dream of when I become Uh a mother I'm going to be a Uh different kind of mom and I'm going to be you know, the most loving mom that I could be. Went back to that husband, had my baby boy. And um, three days after he was born, we discovered that he had congenital heart disease and he had to have open heart surgery. And he was transferred to Stanford Hospital. And so with that, I learned that there were a lot of things that as you look for something in a spouse that one of which like they need to stand beside you. My husband kind of went into his own shell and he couldn't really um, deal with this hard thing. And he kept saying, you're, you're a survivor. You've dealt with all these hard things in your life. So you have to make these decisions. And as my son got sicker, they came to me one day and said, you know, we have to make the decision to take him off life support And so I had to make that decision to do that. And at that point, I just thought, like, wow, (laughs) Mm. the world just really hates me right now. Because this is probably like, at, at that point, I was 26 years old. And I thought, this is not supposed to happen to this young girl. I gave, you know, birth, he was perfect, like there was nothing wrong. And then the whole world just collapsed in front of me. And so I really had to do some deep searching at that point. And so I asked the hospital, I said, is there a pastor on staff? Because I just feel like I have to talk to a priest or a pastor or someone. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, oh, yeah, there we have a priest on hand. And so I said, "I I just need to talk to somebody that has more wisdom because this is a huge decision in mm-hmm. my life and I just can't make it on my own. And so I talked to this priest and he gave me just a really beautiful scenario of like, how babies are innocent first of all and he said you know if this baby um, this baby's soul is probably already with um, God in heaven and he said but here's the thing like if you start taking him off the life support and he survives anyway you know that's just God's will and and the way he described it uh-huh. made such good sense to me because I wasn't a religious person and so I was like huh that that makes sense to me. And so I said, well, I'm going to take that chance. Um, because the doctors had told me medically that even if he lived, um, without life support, or if we decided not to take him off life support, he probably would only survive for the year if that, and he would just be in a hospital where we would visit him with the tubes hooked up and, all of that. And so um, I just decided, you know, like there was no brain activity and he wasn't going to get better at that point. And so um, so that's what we did. And I just remember holding him in my arms and saying goodbye to him and just thinking, I have to do something different with my life because the the way I'm doing my life, I felt like I was going to be the same way that my mom had lived her life. It was just like white knuckling through life you know, I probably would start drinking a lot. I probably would have affairs. I probably would just do all these things because I, on the inside was very miserable. And it was time for me to find out who Phyllis was without all the extra people (laughs) around me. Mm -hmm. And so I went on this journey and I, um, so I stayed in the marriage for a few months after that. And then something just, um, it was pretty crazy. And, you know, it's something that, if you don't believe in a God, it's kind of a weird thing. But like I was sitting at a kitchen table one day and I just kept saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I audibly heard a voice saying, start over. And I, (laughs) I thought someone was in the room and I was like, what is going on? I went outside. I was like, there's nobody here. Like, what was that? And, um, and something inside of me was just like, you need to do your life different. And so I wrote a letter and I told my ex husband now, I, I just said, I, I just think it's time to go and I'm not coming back this time. Please don't ask me. And I, I called a friend and I said, I don't have a job and I don't have a place to stay and I just really need to start my life over. And she said, oh, we're hiring at my job and you can sleep on my couch for three months. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And so, yeah, so I just started over and I just started really thinking more in depth of like really journaling a lot at that point and saying like what are the things I want out of my life what what is a good life what what is a calm life what is a happy life and what kind of men am I actually going to look for when I start (laughs) looking down that journey for a serious relationship and um, I met my now husband that I've been with for 33 years I met him that follow that later on that year oh wow that yeah. quick. Wow. That quick. But we, um, I I actually tried to push him away. <laughs> I told him I'm really crazy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I have all these issues. He's eight years younger than me. And, um, and so I he was still in college, but he was working at this job at the job I got he was he was oh, working there goodness. during the summer. And he said, No, I really like you. I'm just gonna wait for you until you heal like until you feel better. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> so it was pretty crazy and we laugh about it now, but um, you know, we, we walked a, a hard road together too. We, we dated for four years. Cause I really, my one thing was, as I told him, I never want to go through another divorce again. Like marriage is very sacred to me. No one in my family has ever had a successful marriage. And that's including siblings, cousins, parents, like no one. I had nothing to look at for that. And I really wanted to do it differently. So I just started really um, making a conscious effort to take care of myself first and, um, be independent in that way, and then allow somebody else to come in and share with that. And um, yeah, we got married four years later, everything was great. We had our first baby, and my mom came back in my life. And she had broken a hip and the hospital called me. And so for the next 16 years, I took care of my mother through her illnesses and things while raising my children. And, um, and at 35, I became a Christian. I was pregnant with my second daughter then. And I just felt like I needed to thank somebody more for my life than just me. (laughs) And so, um, my friend, uh, showed me this different kind of church. Uh, I I was raised a Catholic and I was like, I don't know if I want to go back to that. I I love the faith, but I I just don't know if that's the church for me. And so she sent me to a non-denominational church and Um, Again, felt that beautiful feeling like this warm, I don't even can't even explain it. It was just like, I'm home. And so (laughs) I just never looked back. Well, and the first um, thing of faith is I came home so excited. I told my husband and he said, that's great, honey, for you. I'm not going. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And I was so mad at God because I thought, how could you do that to me? I had a perfect marriage. And then now you're telling me we're on different pages. But it's funny because that's what faith does is it it grows you in supernatural ways. So like, it's not just worldly of like, well, this feels good. I'm going to do this. It's like, can you stretch yourself in a different place huh. to really know like, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to test you a little bit and see, like, do you really believe in me? Do you trust me? And so I did. And I brought my kids, people thought I was single. And I was like, no, my husband's at home. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would bring my kids to school, to um, church. And sometimes they didn't want to go into the classes. And so they'd say, let's just go home. And I'm like, nope, we're going to sit on the grass because on Sundays, this is what we do. And, um and so during that time, he taught me, grace and patience with my mom because there was some, like, it was, she was pretty hard to love. There was some really hard issues going on, but he, he taught me how to set good boundaries with her and also love her at the same time, which is really a skill. Wow, that was incredible
0: because I have a dozen questions and I believe that the audience does too. We are going to take a very quick 15-second break and when we come back we're going to talk about a few things. One is how to change our mindset towards our families and another is how do you learn to love people unconditionally in your family and then a lot more that we're going to talk as talk about as well. So just hold on, we'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Today I'm speaking with Phyllis Mantelli, who is the author of the book Unmothered, Life with a Mom Who Couldn't Love Me. She has, at the top of this broadcast today, shared an incredible story. And if you have been listening, you will probably be sitting on the edge of your seat to see how this woman, who has been through so much, was able to turn not only her life around, but to help others do the same thing. So we're excited to hear from you, Phyllis. First of all, how do you love someone in your family in particular, unconditionally? And what does that mean?
2: Well, it's... It sounds really pretty, but <laughs> it's actually really hard. And so I just want to preface that because I do have clients that, you know, my mom passed in 2007, and I'm really glad for the journey. But <clears throat> I know a lot of women that are dealing with hard mom issues right now, mm. and they're like, oh, Phyllis, it's so hard to love her. And So part of it really, I would say the very, very first thing you have to do is set a boundary around it. Because a lot of times when you have moms that are difficult or are narcissistic or have any kind of like a dysfunction, maybe, you know, maybe they are bipolar or something like that, you know, really hurt women. You have to just understand where they come from. So So one of the things that I like to do is dig back through people's history and let them know, like, the reason why they are the way they are. Because I think when you can understand where they came from and why they are the way they are, it helps you have a little more empathy for them. Not that you have to give in to the way they are, but just understanding it a little bit more releases kind of that bitterness from you of, you know, for a long time, I was really bitter and angry at my mom, like, why is she like this? And why did I get stuck with this mother? But when I started looking into her past, my mom was unmothered when she was nine years old. Um, Her father took her away from her mom, all the children, and, and he was highly abusive to her. And so... she was just really hurt. Like she just had a really hurt heart. And so when I say in the second part of my book, life with a mom who couldn't love me, it wasn't that she didn't love me. I want to really emphasize that my mom did love me. She just couldn't love me the way a healthy mom could love me. And I think that's the difference is that you may have a mom who just isn't capable of loving you completely. And so there just has to be a lot of grace with that. Um, and with really healthy boundaries to know when it's time to go in and help and when it's time to step aside and, um, hold your own and keep your own property fence line to say like, Hey, you know, this is my family here. Like you're going to have to deal with your issues. That's not my issues. And I think you can do that in a loving way so that, um, so that you can help grow in your family, but also not get stuck into their past because they will just drag you into their toxicity. So like one of the things with my mom is she would get really anxious around holiday time. And when I started creating this really beautiful family with my girls and my now husband uh-huh. and and all of that, I wanted to bring her in and share with that. But what ended up happening is she would get very high anxiety to be around like my husband's family because she considered them like more upper Mm -hmm. echelon than her and so she would get insecure so she would drink and then she would come and then she would create chaos and so one year she made my older daughter cry which she doesn't even remember it at the time (laughs) I remember it because it affected me it traumatized Mm -hmm. me again and I said I don't want that I I didn't raise my girls the way my mom raised me as a child I speak um, like healthy things into my kids lives. And she didn't do that. She always talked negatively. And so I decided that after that Christmas, I said, listen, you know, mom, instead of just screaming at her and getting mad, how could you do this? You ruined my Christmas. I, I was really angry, but I just took her home and I said, we're going to talk about this later. And then the next day I went over and I said, you know what, what I'm going to do is I said, we're going to have Christmas Eve at my house and then I'm going to bring you leftovers and spend time with you <laughs> Christmas day. Wow. And so that way she got all the the food and all the, and she got to spend time with me and things like that. But she didn't, she didn't have to come to a party that she uh-huh. wasn't comfortable uh-huh. coming right. to yes. in the first place. Right. And so she had kind of a sad look. And then I saw this look of relief on her face and I thought, oh, it's so funny how we, We kind of force families to do things, but really, like, if you take a step back and see what they can handle, you can really, like, if your mom is um, being difficult in a certain setting, maybe take her to a different setting, you know, and meet her somewhere else so that it's, it's a neutral setting so that you can actually have a conversation. Or maybe you have to take a time out and just not talk to each other for a while, too. That's okay, You know, like there's just different things that you can do to show love and graciousness with your parent or, you know, any parent, really, but your mom to um, really do the day to day things that are a little bit different than just doing the same old, same old.
0: Tell us about your coaching, what you offer. I think this is you basically are leading into that right now yes. and, and, and you know what you offer and what to expect etcetera. etc
2: Yeah, so I I have my coaching is patience and grace coaching. I took it from the two words God gave me one day when I was really mad at my mom. And I said, (laughs) I have none of that. Why are you giving me those two words? And years later, my daughter was walking down the aisle, and those two words dropped in my head, and I just started bawling. And So I named my coaching Patience and Grace Coaching because it's really the patience and grace of life that can um, bring you to a really beautiful place. And so um, I walk them through six weeks of just those kind of things. So like um, breaking off generational dysfunction, setting um, good, healthy boundaries, um, finding a good path and walking through it. Uh, finding good mama mentors, because that's really important. If you haven't grown up with good moms, you need to find some good moms that can show you how that's done in a healthy way. And then leaving a legacy. Um, what kind of a legacy do you want to leave when, when you know, at the end of the day, if, like, you know, you leave this earth, what do you want people to remember you for? What do you mm-hmm. want your family mm-hmm. to remember you for? I want my grandkids to know, like, my grandma was there for me She prayed for me. She, um, she played with me. She was happy. She showed me these traditions, you know, I, want to leave a good legacy for them. You know, she showed me how to be a powerful, strong person. And so I think that's really important. Those are things that we didn't get poured into us as, um, kids. And so I, ask them certain questions, they have a little bit of homework, and then it just kind of like pushes them to another area. They have to be ready to move on to the next place. If you're still really struggling, you know, you may need counseling or something like that. But if you're in a place where you're just like, okay, I'm ready to just get in a healthier place, then coaching is a really good thing for you to um, be able to have a coach like ask you really good poignant questions where you can move to the next level in your thought process so that you're not repeating the same bad habits.
0: And what type of coaching would you say that it is? Strictly like a family relationship?
2: It's mother-daughter that's what I specialize in. Okay
0: and your book tell us about your book.
2: Yeah so well the book came out at the end of 2019 and it is a memoir. Uh, It does go through the story of like my life changing at eight I do tell that's the very first chapter is telling that story of um being um taken away from my father and and it leads me through the journey of uh walking with my mom through her illness she died of dementia and so that was a whole different thing Hmm. when she started developing those kind of habits um of repeating things she was in an apartment building and she was um Making, they make, they get up at night. They, they tend to like come alive at nighttime. And so the neighbors were leaving notes on the door. Like she was banging pots and pans <laughs> oh my and word. things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, anyone that has a parent that has dementia or Alzheimer's, it's a really rough road. And I, my heart goes out to them because um, it is not easy to watch somebody lose their mind. And my mom didn't recognize me towards the end, which is heartbreaking. Um, And so it shows um, just the journey with her and then also raising my girls. My my girls are adults now. My youngest is 28 and she works for me, which is amazing. And then my oldest is 32 and she has two beautiful children. She made me a grandma (laughs) and being able to have these kind of relationships with my daughter it's like i broke the chain yes <laughs> and yes. i that is my that's my legacy is like i broke the chain like this is not going to happen anymore and the thing that gives me the most joy is when my oldest daughter calls and she'll FaceTime me several times a week because my granddaughter wants to talk to her Fifi which is my grandma name (laughs) and so she's like she just has to see you and she wants to be with you and the and the fact that she trusts me to to be with this child is like it's a testament right because Mm -hmm. I didn't get to do that with my mom so
0: that was beautiful Thank you. You also teach people how to write their stories. Tell us a little bit about that and is it a program or what do you offer?
2: Yes, that's like my one of my favorite things too is um, I have a program. I have a course called Memorable Memoirs and all of these things are on my website Phyllis Mantelli and so um, I have a four-week course that they can take and it's really digging into, first of all, are you healed enough to tell your story? I would say that's really the most important question to ask first is that, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be telling your hard story if you're still in the middle of your hard story. Um, it's the same with speaking, like you can't get up there and start talking about your story and you start bawling. Like there's a difference you can, (laughs) you know, it's like, Whoa, you're not, you're not healed yet. Hold on. But, um, you know, there's a difference if you get teary eyed, of course, like you can put yourself back in that situation like I can talk about my son and I'm okay because it's been 37 years but if I touch upon certain points like being in the hospital if I settle my my body kind of goes back to that place I can get teary eyed about it and I'm okay with that, but I can pull myself out because it's, I've healed from those things. Like it's, it's okay to show that emotion. So I think the same thing with your writing is you don't want to, first of all, you don't want to hurt people that may still be around and um, you have to be really careful about not really um, bringing other people into your story that may not, they might be offended or they just don't want their story being told. So um, those are things that we talk about that first um, little part of the course is just to make sure you're healed from these things and that it's a safe story to tell. And there was a lot of different people in my story, but the the core of the story was about the relationship between my mom and I. And so since she had passed, like that was a safe story to tell, but I changed Uh names um, uh-huh. and even you know with certain even with my ex because people outside of my community won't know who they are and so I wanted to protect those people and so um, also just learning how to find good hooks in the story so you always want to start your story where people are going to go oh my gosh what's going to happen next and so you know learning how to do that is like amazing and if you have really good writing skills or you if i can help you find the hook in in your story it's going to make people want to read more than the first chapter
0: so well stated so well stated thank you so much and i I think that you have not only been um, informative, you have been inspirational. I don't use that word loosely. <laughs> you have been definitely motivational, and you have also presented a challenge. So I hope that not only will people buy your book, they will check out your website. They will, if they need either in the area of their relationships, go into your coaching program or... Or learn how to write their own stories or memoirs. There are so many memoirs out there. You read a page and I'm like, do I really want to read this? Yeah. You know, and, and as a as an interviewer of people who mostly write memoirs, I mean, <laughs> you really have to, as you said, you have to hook them. Mm-hmm. And they don't all start with the day I was born. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, we don't need the whole story.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I
0: think you got it. And hopefully this will intrigue people to to check it out because you have been an awesome guest and I thank you for everything that you shared not just your story but all these other things as well and we look forward to hearing more from you To do you have another book in the works perhaps
2: I do so. I'm actually writing the companion to Unmothered, and it is uh, based on the six life lessons of my coaching. And so it will be a book in book form, so people will be able to read and study and journal and all that good stuff. And um, and I'm releasing a new podcast called the Unmothered Podcast. Oh, uh, awesome! Yes, October third. So I have a trailer up right now on Apple and Spotify. Okay,
0: okay. Mm-hmm. And when is your book
2: up, coming out? Uh, hopefully next year. I don't have okay. an exact date yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Still working All on right. It. Well,
0: we'll be looking and we'll have you back after that book comes out. So you Great. make a note I in your calendar. That. Absolutely. Okay.
2: okay. I will. All
0: right. Well, this has been wonderful. I thank you for being on never, ever give up hope. Is there anything you want to say in summary, conclusion, whatever?
2: Uh, well, just what you said is never, ever give up hope. If you've grown up with, um, a mom that has been uh, difficult or un- dysfunctional, please know that your life has purpose and there is so much more for you out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you
0: for those words of encouragement as well. And I appreciate you being on Never, thank you. Ever Give Up Hope.
1: Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of 5 stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.